This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Apple, Google, and governments around the world are cooking up a new way to trace where you've been and who you've talked to. Sound like Big Brother? It may help you to love your neighbor. This is Device and Virtue. Well, hey, welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. Coming to you from Chicago, I'm Chris. And I'm Adam. Chris, this, I heard it recently called the Great Pause. Have you heard this? That's <laughs> what, what we're in right now. In our life. Our life is on the Great Pause. I feel like we were, when did we record last? Like a, a couple of weeks ago, and I said it was day 5,000 of coronavirus. What are we on now? Yeah. <laughs> day day 10,000. <laughs> How's how's your shelter in place system going? You know, it's going okay. I would say I I'm decently good at it. <laughs> I wouldn't oh, no. say I am Don't getting an A <laughs> in sheltering in place. I would say I'm getting like a B. Yeah. Or oh. a B plus maybe. Well, I'm like D minus compared to some. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> I'm following all these rules, but like I just have to get out of the house every day, you know, working from home with the laptop, but then like it's like I have had coping mechanisms right one of them is walk to the bakery to get a donut and walk back which is not bad because i've got a good italian so which is the coping mechanism the walk or the donut oh yes both yeah (laughs) speaking of food uh then i got so bad this week that at one point i ordered a fried nashville chicken on a biscuit with an egg Wait for it, bacon and cheese melt. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and, like, and went and picked it up. They have curbside to your car, you know, and then came back and just, just like stopped in my car on the side of the road and sort of smeared it all over my face. <laughs> <laughs> It was like uh, comfort food. Wait, like, comfort me, oh Jesus slash biscuit. Oh man, wait was was this at the, at roost? It was. Roost. Oh, oh man, yeah. so we love roost. Holla to roost this. This episode is brought to you by Roost. It's not, <laughs> it's but we do love Roost, so I support them. That's, uh, Roost is like our favorite fried chicken place in the city. Yes, One day, hands Adam, down, when we get to be friends in person at restaurants oh, again, man. we will go to Roost together as a celebration. Chris, I've heard people, like I said, talking about the great pause, but they've also been talking about going back to normal. And sure. I am starting to think that back to normal is a dream. And that we may have to be going forward to a new normal. Okay. What do you think? That's depressing. But we can get there. It's going to be a new normal and going back to normal. I don't know. It could be a while. This is why the topic that we brought up today is the whole ball game. Probably everyone's going to be talking about this for the next two weeks. I think so. It's the key word of contact tracing. Yeah. Contact tracing is something that is a public health strategy that is being used when a pandemic happens or when an mm-hmm. epidemic happens. So it's it's a fairly standard practice, but now we're living in a digital age 
and we have this pandemic, so it's happening across different cultures. And so, and so it's looking a little totally. bit different. Right. Totally. All of these news stories about this. Well, you and I both read nerdy news and then big news. And I don't know if it's been on like CNN-ish news yet, probably. But it definitely has been in the nerdy technology news yeah. world about how does this work and what could happen. Well, and you even talked about it, what, on the Washington Post on our last episode? Oh, yeah. On our last episode, I, I was starting to mention it already. And now I think it's been become big. And now this is a big question about ethics and technology and daily yeah. life. So I think we're just going to talk about it all today. Here's where we started We've been looking at South Korea. I've been reading these stories about South Korea. Uh-huh. And South Korea, as of yesterday, a new Slate podcast was talking about everything's open. People are in parks. People are going to coffee shops. Maybe not everything. I don't think they were doing like the big events but or it's like pretty, the mega it's kind churches. Of, it's quote unquote back to normal. But a journalist was saying it feels like a normal ordinary spring day in the city. And that feels for us in Chicago, that feels crazy to us because yeah, we've just, like, you, know, you know, it's a big deal to go to the gas station. And the answer is, is that Korea put in place this system of tracing when someone gets a virus, who else the other people came in contact with. Yeah. And they put it in very early. And so like, I can tell you how this works. Like, I don't know if people understand this yet. So it's like, Adam, let's say you have coronavirus. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I like where this is going. But let's say you have coronavirus and you've gone to a clinic and we've done a test and we've determined you've got it. Yeah, I'm COVID positive. So you see the doctors, but then the next person you see is a public health official. And I'll be the public health official. Okay. Yeah. So they they, they come into my hospital room or, or somewhere. And I'm wearing some sort of, I don't know, multi-layered mask system or something. Yeah. But, and I ask you, okay, Adam, where were you today? So what you, what time did you get up? Right, right. And I'm just trying to like process the reality that I have COVID and I'm feeling anxious and like my family, I want them to know. And where was I today? I can't really think beyond like the last five minutes. <laughs> right. I know. I think this is really hard, but what this is what they do is they interview people. You said last time we were talking that you had a, your own journal. Yeah. yeah. Right? I was doing contact tracing before it was a thing. <laughs> you were like listing places you had gone and people you had seen. Right. Yeah. Any, any like major interpersonal interaction and any kind of public space that I had had been in yeah so what they do is they actually interview you almost like a little bit of an fbi kind of interview i mean maybe not antagonistic but like okay yeah at 7 a.m you went to a coffee shop how long did you spend there 10 minutes who did you talk to the cashier okay yeah. and then where did you go you know i went to make sure check on my elderly mother okay great well you know how long right. were you there what did you do and so they come up with a list of this and they've been doing this manually for years right they did right. It for like sars and mers back in the day they did it for ebola right because they tried to figure out who did it transmit person to person right and seoul really developed their current system with an outbreak that back in 2015 oh, so the, they were the kind MERS of outbreak. they were yeah, kind yeah. of prepped and ready to go when this hit them. And I think that's yeah. partly why they've kind of approached it so comprehensively. And what they do is after they get a list of people from you, they get like, okay, what's their phone number? What's your mom's phone number? What's the coffee shop's phone number? Right. They call each other. Right. And they say, hey, there's been a person that's COVID positive in here and we're notifying you of this. And they might mm -hmm. actually ask some people to quarantine or get tested based on that. Right. The big difference with this is that you don't have to tell an entire city to stay locked in place, you tell the people that have been in contact with the actual virus right. that you they actually need to you actually trace 
the contact. Right, right, right. Just like the words imply, but you kind of unpack it. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So as you can imagine, it takes a long time when you do these interviews and then you've got to call everyone for the last 14 days, everyone that someone saw. Yeah, like, and you have to figure out if you don't have their contact information. You have who to go are they? figure out what their number is or where they, yeah. So it's a really they intense- have to kind of triangulate all this information. Process. So Korea started doing things using a little bit more technology to do these interviews, but they started right. using a combination of phone notifications. Instead of calling everybody, they could send a text message to everyone within a five-mile radius saying oh, they're doing this, right? Yeah. Saying- and it's weird. They say a uh, 35-year-old male in your neighborhood has gotten COVID and they were at these places in the last like five days or something. And they right. list the places and the times. Yeah. And they, it pops up on your phone automatically. Like you, it's yeah. a push notification to you from public health. And you check to see if you were at any of those places. And if you were, you voluntarily sort of quote unquote go get checked. Yeah. So you kind of have to do a manual track back of yeah. your own path. Yeah. And think, okay, was I there at that time? On Which that your day? system would work for this, and my, my system, system would work. Uh, my brain would not be able to do this. <laughs> well, it's only—it's not my brain. It was just me writing it down, which uh, I honestly haven't kept up. It, I, ha- I did it for like a week or ten days, and really I've just—I've just kind of forgotten to do it. That's mostly the, the truth. Which so then it's a breakdown again. Like, and yeah, yeah, and then. The, the system also allows, has a link so you can get more information if yeah, you yeah, want, right, if, you, right. if you think, oh, I could right. potentially have been there. So I got super interested in this. And then I, I want to talk more about like how churches in Korea were reacting to this, because obviously Korea has like a ton of, South Korea has a ton of Christians. But let's jump to Singapore, because Singapore started reacting to this, and they actually created an even higher tech app. What was oh, it called? Yeah. It was called, it's called uh, uh, Trace Together. Traced together, yeah. and they like got top minds. Did a hundred developers really quick? Developed it in like ten days, and you could go. It was an optional app. You downloaded. Okay. It was an official government app. Yeah. And what it used is it used technology to actually like instead of asking you manually where have you been, it used data from the app to figure that out. And so like. <laughs> um, uh, which made it more efficient, right? Like calling through everybody, but it would be really difficult. Right. And they started trying to contain their cases and contact everybody by using this app. Interesting. Um, which so, is, and this yeah. was an optional app. Right. So they weren't, it wasn't mandatory where in the, in the, in Seoul's case, it's mandatory it that you answer a, all their questions. Yeah. Right. right. Which already we can feel, I think some Americans would feel a little bit weird about, oh, I'm answering all these government questions about everyone I've talked mm-hmm. to. And, and and the government is then going out and distributing this information in a fairly broad manner to hundreds or thousands of people about my whereabouts over the last 10 days. Right, or whatever. right, right. So here's where we get to the proposal that's about to happen in the United States that people might be reading about. And I have an opinion about this, Adam, and I want to hear your opinion. But Google and Apple together have released an idea for an app that gets pushed out. Remember, Google owns all Android phones, of course, (laughs) and Apple owns all iPhones. Which is most operating systems of every smartphone in the U.S. And in the world, even. But it's definitely... And they together... When I saw that article, I was like, you're kidding. Those two companies are working together because obviously they're competitors. Yeah. Yeah. And Apple has been very big on privacy. At least they have a bigger public face than that in Google. Uh And they released an app together saying, we are creating a contact tracing app 
that would use Bluetooth signals. So that's the same okay. thing we connect with headphones, obviously. Yeah. But it's a short range radio signal. It's not right. a long range radio signal. It's not like a cell phone signal. It can't go very far. It's like, like maybe 30 feet or oh, max, you know, like, like that. you know, five to 20 feet. I think like theoretically okay. it goes to 30 feet and it uses this and it, everyone you come in contact with, it knows, okay, it was, this person was near this other person for 15 minutes and they're five feet from this person. And so it stores on your phone, but not online stores on your phone, the list of all these sort of, it's called random identifiers, these Bluetooth random identifiers from these other phones that you run across. Right, right. And then if you got positive test at a hospital, if you got symptoms, you went to the hospital, said I'm sick, and they tested you positively, you could authorize them on your phone to press a sort of a button, and it would notify everyone that has actually been close to you. Right, in the, in last, the last 14 days. 14 days. And everyone would have a really accurate warning. Right. If we started doing this, we could lift shelter-in-place rules because we right now the shelter-in-place is like cutting off an entire leg. It's like an amputeeing a leg, right? It's like the the blunt. We don't know where the virus is, and it's not with a lot of people, but it is with some people, and it could harm everybody. And so we're going to cut it off. This is more like surgery, and it gets us into like we know where it is and how to fix it. And so I think we should be doing this. The government's probably going to make a decision on it this week. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I was. You used that metaphor last time we were talking about this—the amputation oh, versus okay. the scalpel—and well, I thought you might bring it up again. So I was thinking about it just a little bit, and I was wondering: one, who's doing the amputation, or who's holding the scalpel? Because in this case, is oh, it wow. the government holding the scalpel? Mm, is it mm, mm. kind of? I'm just I'm just <laughs> yeah, thinking this yeah. through, and yeah, I'm yeah. also thinking: what's the body? What's the body that's getting amputated? And I think it's an economic statement that you're making, right? That we're going in, we're saying the economy can move forward because we're doing surgery on it by cutting yeah. out cutting out just the people that are the infection. Okay. To the I know that's been the debate a lot on Facebook, especially like, let's get the economy moving. And Trump has sort of said that kind of thing too. And then uh, other people were like, you people are just worried about your money and not about saving lives. That's sort of the other side of that. I right. know. I think that's not about just the economy. I don't like okay. it. I think it's about... It, the economy is a measure of like life and freedom. It's one way to talk about... The health of society. Yeah. One like, measure of the health of society. Yeah. Let's remember I have an economics degree, so I'd like to think I know something, <laughs> which I don't because it's an undergrad economics uh. degree. But I mean, it's just a... I don't think it's a measure of sort of the movement of us interacting with each other. It's not like get rich. Fair. Okay. So then what do you... Th who, who is holding the... The scalpel. The scalpel. <laughs> I know yeah. nothing about French pronunciation. <laughs> like, I don't even think it's a French word. But um, Well, no, I think it's like the question is you're saying, like, is it the quote-unquote government holding the scalpel? Is mm -hmm. it tech companies yeah. holding the scalpel? You know, uh, I want to say that it's a society healing itself. <laughs> okay. I don't know that I buy that, but okay. <laughs> what I'm saying, it's a more precise solution. Yeah. The metaphor does work. On a, on a level. I right. agree with that. Right. But the point of contact tracing is what you're talking about is that we're moving from this sort of manual process to making an automated process with apps. We live in a digital age. And so we're thinking, how can we automate this? How can we make this uh, something that is happening in a more precise way? Yeah, it's more accurate. Listen, they are saying that in the U.S., if we wanted to do manual contact tracing mm -hmm. for everyone, call everyone up, call everyone you saw for the last 100 days, right. it would take, wait for it, 
300,000 employees to do that. Like, like, just to run around town and ask everybody where people are. So if we have smartphones doing that, wow, we can do it in an instant. And it takes days. Mm-hmm. I, I also think you, you said that it, it would lift the shelter-in-place social distancing kind of ban. And I don't know if that's totally true. I think yeah, yeah. The, the, the contact tracing actually allows for some of these things to happen. But it's actually one tool in sort of the whole tool belt of managing the pandemic. It's not, it's not a panacea that's going to resolve everything and make everything go back to normal. Okay, I agree. But it does it, actually it allow us, us a long progressively. Way. I'm not saying in an instant or yeah. stupidly. I'm just saying it allows us to, instead of shutting down an entire city, we protect those people that are most vulnerable, that, are, that have the virus. Or, you know, where we know where the virus is. Yeah. And it it doesn't mean that people don't have to take their own precautions in terms of wearing a mask or wearing gloves when they go out. It just means that we will have a a better way for some to get notified if they have been exposed or had a prolonged interaction with someone who is COVID positive. But then also, also... We can stop living in fear about the virus being everywhere because the virus is somewhere. So, Chris, when it comes to who's holding the scalpel, do you really think that we should trust, whether it's Apple or Google or the government, to really be transparent about what they're doing with the information that's that? we put into the app be transparent yeah what do you think about the transparency side of it because we don't really understand or know how they're using the information because apple and google actually want to they want to start with making it an app that public health officials can distribute through Apple and Google platforms. But then their second stage is actually to bake it into the operating system for Android and iOS. That's their plan long term. And so we can talk about... Those those eyebrows are going up. Oh, man. (laughs) You have no idea. So I think we need to be asking, like, can can we really trust these large corporate and government entities to ultimately shape our society in a way that we want it to be shaped. So your question presupposes so many things. For instance, that always that larger things are evil. (laughs) They're more powerful. Yes. I'm not saying they're necessarily evil. Right. I mean, one of the questions on this, on this large scale, okay, you're asking about data transparency. Let me just be like boorish for a minute and just talk about like large problems require large solutions and like a virus that affecting millions might require groups that have reaches like a government or Mm -hmm. the equivalent to governments for us, which include Facebook and Google. I'll just posit that to come up with some of the solutions because honestly the, you know, the, the bakery down the street is not going to fix this. 
I mean, they were fixing it for you, though. Oh, gosh, it was such a good donut. <laughs> so the transparency, yes yeah, so and no. I mean, there are but, there are technical details here, yeah, right? Okay, but, they're using a rotating Bluetooth uh, cryptographic key that rotates every 10 or 15 minutes. It's creating sort of a hashed sort of local deposit on your phone. And uh, Wired had a lot of details on, like, ways that this could get sniffed. But honestly, most privacy, and I can get really do- boring with the stuff that yeah, I understood. But some I, of it went above me. But, like, most of the privacy advocacy groups were already, like, uh, this is actually pretty good. You, here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't use location tracking. Right. And it doesn't upload the data to, like, a cell, you know, Verizon or Sprint. Right. And so that's pretty fascinating right there. It uses technology, little computers in our phones that talk to each other only. Yeah. It, it makes me wonder, why aren't why aren't most of our apps doing it this way? But that's a totally other question. <laughs> well, that's a smart question, actually. Um, uh, thank you. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I will say Wired yesterday was had, was asking experts about what they thought about this. And so, a lot of them liked it. Some had questions. But even the ones that had questions were like, yeah, this is a pretty decent solution. But one of them said, could advertisers use this? Yeah. And the guy was like, yeah, I can think of a way why. You could have a thing in a store, like when stores open. And that sort of reads these Bluetooth keys when you walk into like, you know, Sears. Well, Sears. That's, <laughs> here's an example from the 80s. And, <laughs> and then they could possibly, even though it's rotating, meaning that it changes every 15 minutes and in theory you can't tell which phone is which until the, they activate it later. You know, they maybe could use a large database and try to mm. combine it and find it. But he's like, honestly, like it's just an easier thing for an advertiser to already use like your credit card or your grocery store super saver number. <laughs> And so it's probably not worth the work for them. Yeah. And I, I mean, I get large problems require large solutions. I think also with the size comes ambiguity or just a lack of understanding of the whole system of the whole scenario. And so it's not necessarily that they're being malicious. It's just that things fall through the cracks. Yeah. And we have a big solution in mind with 300,000 people doing contact tracing manually across the U.S., but you want to do it efficiently it's true. and precisely. It's true. And so Good it's thing. not that we don't have a solution <laughs> already that could work. Mm-hmm. It's that for some reason we want to rely on Apple and Google in whom we place our trust for the good of society. I think we are not relying on Apple and Google, although yes, but I think we are noticing that we all have a small computer in our pockets that goes with us everywhere. I mean, just a, such a large percentage of the population. And we're taking advantage of the fact that that technology exists. If we are going to take advantage of that technology and I'm going to sell you like shoes, like let's at least take advantage of that technology to like save lives. All right. stare, see my stare on that? Yeah. Your eyebrows are so far up right now. I can't <laughs> I know, even. Like, so, I mean, but, but well, here's the thing that I think you're going to press on. You're talking about the transparency of the data. Uh, people could opt in. Yeah. That's the other side of this is people, people choosing whether they go into it or not. So right, in right. Korea, it was sort of this mandatory reporting right, sort of thing. Right, and right. And also a mandatory distribution of that information to yep. a large group of people. Right, right. It was, in, it was mandated by law. In they put the law in during MERS like yeah. four or five years ago. Right. Yeah. Now, Singapore did it as an opt-in. You right. could you could use it if you wanted. But the problem there was only 15% of people opted in. Yeah, that seems like a shame. And yep. so on a broad scale, I, I was hearing 
one expert say 75% of people need to be using an app that distributes this information yes. in order for it to be effective. Yep. And so are we saying that 75% of the U.S. will have to opt in as a mandatory thing to use an app distributed by a large corporation like this? I think yes. You do? <laughs> oh, I should people opt in or opt out? By the way, that's the holy grail of American consumerism right now. We talk about opt-in and opt-out around privacy. Yeah. Oh, well, you opted into that mailing list. You're allowed to unsubscribe. I think a lot of that's crap. I think it's a faux defense around privacy things mm -hmm. because we all know we just click through things anyway. <laughs> but two, like, it, I think we need to look at harms of privacy. Data is going to get more collected. We need to look at the second parts of aggregation and use of data, not the collection side. But the, the point is, I think, and I know this is controversial. I know people will not agree with me. I think there should be a law that says everyone has this app. Oh, interesting. And that everyone uses it. And, and I think it's ethically, and I'm gonna, we're going to get into Christian theology and ethics here. Yeah. I think it possibly, possibly, Adam, it is required ethically to love our neighbor that we, for the greater good, log in. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson publisher of Nine Lives and Counting, A Bounty Hunter's Journey to Faith, Hope, and Redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com slash audio to learn more. I think the question then for me becomes, what privacy am I giving up? What am I consenting to in order to make that happen? Because obviously I want mm -hmm. to keep others healthy. Obviously, like I've mm -hmm. been sheltering in place I've been doing a B, B plus <laughs> B job, job of yep. sheltering in place because actually my parents live nearby and I want to visit them and I want to care for them. And so what I'm doing personally is managing how much interaction I have for their sake. Mm -hmm. And what this app is asking me to do is to expand that out to a broader number of people perhaps. Hmm. And the question for me is, am I willing to give up something, I don't quite know what, mm -hmm. through this app in order to put both friends, family, and strangers yeah. to, to make them safe and to ensure that if I'm unhealthy that, that they get checked out as well. And I don't, I don't totally know what I'm giving up with this app yet, but that's sort of the question in my mind is like, yeah. Does it make sense? I mean, I, I like that. I think the really American thing to do would be like, you know, take care of your closest first. So, you know, and right. take care of the people. And I think Jesus, well, definitely not saying don't care of family. 
possibly calls us in an ethic to definitely think of the stranger. We have to love them as well. And that's what some, you know, pastors have been talking about shelter in place, like thinking of, think, love your neighbor in that way. Yeah. But what you're saying is like, okay, I already know I'm loving my parents or certain other people in specific ways by how I'm behaving. But if I, we use this digital tracing thing, it does sort of expand who I'm loving, but how does it do that? And what does that take away? Well, and it makes me think of the good Samaritan, like that's loving the stranger. Yeah. Yeah. That's who my neighbor is. Right. I, I didn't know that guy before I was passing him on the road and I took great inconvenience in order to take care of that person at great personal cost actually and time. Right. And in this case, you know, say it's, say it's my privacy, say, the government or Apple or Google does get some of my data yeah. and they're not ethical about it. Not that they won't okay. be, but let's just posit yeah, yeah. that no, that's, for example. That's, that's like, interesting. Okay. So I'm, yeah. I, I Say am they giving, use it for ads later. Yeah. Maybe. And I am giving up some privacy or some health data. God forbid. Like, am I willing to do that for the sake of the stranger at the grocery store who rang through all my groceries? Right. Right. The, uh, I mean, this is this this gets into the tough ethics, right? Like one of the old ethical questions we might have learned if we like in college, if you took the ethics class, you know. I mean, there's sort of uh, deontological ethics. Okay, really nerdy. Whoa, uh, <laughs> whoa! My eyebrows are raised, but my eyes are glazing over. I'm just saying, deontological. Like, keep going. I just say, like, there, you know, there's rules for what is this right or wrong. You know, we sort of yeah. make up rules. Kant, Emmanuel Kant, is sort of famous in this category. There's consequentialist ethics, which is sort of like at the end of the day, how it worked out. Yeah, that's that's what was the outcome. You know, yeah, yeah, sort of the results, utilitarian. What's in that one? You know, that question is famous. Is like, what's the what's makes the most people have the most well being, and that's the right thing at the end of the day, okay. right? Like, like, so how many people? This kills ten thousand. This kills a hundred thousand. We go for the killing less. Yeah. You know? And then there's the virtue ethics, and we call our show. I like the word <laughs> show, don't you? We call it device uh, and virtue. You know about yeah. how does it shape us to be good or righteous people like what yeah. what what are the things we do and what is the effects it has to shape us you know yeah and this definitely sort of scratches that itch a little bit on the the ethics one-on-one question of like if you sacrifice a little bit of your data but it helps the greater good uh and i don't really understand kantian ethics like sort of i can talk about the categorical <laughs> imperative for a while but i'm afraid there might be a i know a few philosophy yeah. professors that I think they're going to come slap me if i make too many things <laughs> but i mean like what is required of me as an individual to love the society to love yeah. the family of god and to love the world i think i'm saying the requirement for me as an individual to love the family and the world is actually put privacy, quote unquote, under saving other people. And I will say in Korea, where is a massive Christian nation, really big churches, you know, yeah. in South Korea. And one of the reporters was asked, how do people feel about giving up their privacy to the government that's using all these technological techniques? And the reporter sort of said, ah, I don't think anyone's really thinking about that. We think about safety and common good as more important than privacy. Yeah. Isn't that a challenge to American Christians? Yeah, I think the hyper-individualism that we have kind of opens on to that I have a right to my privacy attitude. And we also need to be thinking about the flip side of what's my responsibility to the people around me. But I think it also then means that we need to be able to trust our government and our large corporations because we need that transparency from them in order for us to know what we're consenting to when Mm -hmm. we opt in, when we log in to an app that they've created. And like, it's the consent of the governed. Like we 
we have to choose, but we have to also have visibility on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they have to be transparent with us, not mm-hmm. just one way. Mm-hmm. And so if that can happen, and I think it's a complicated if, but if that can happen, then I think it is appropriate that we make a sacrifice. The question is, will I know that I made the sacrifice or not? Will I be aware of making that sacrifice? Because, you know, it's easier to make a sacrifice when you know that you're choosing it, I think. But when it happens to you and you didn't know you were making it, then you feel like a victim and not a hero. Yeah, so you're saying if it's mandatory, say, that everyone does this, it's a very different approach to loving other people as opposed to if it's voluntary. Yeah, I think that's part of it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) I sort of agree with that. Uh, (laughs) But we know that we're not going to get the 75% opt-in rate that we would need. Right. If Singapore is any indication that it's just going to be 15%, and then it doesn't help. So is there a such thing as mandatory love your neighbor? <laughs> absolutely. Such, I think we're called to love our neighbor and it is mandatory. What, or, yeah, yeah. But, but you're making this point. That's really like, you're like, well, if it is forced upon me, you know, are we the victims? We're not actually going to choose yeah. that sacrifice. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. Can we ever be sacrificing and loving our neighbor when we actually, we didn't when sort of choose it when it was chosen for us? Well, but I do think, uh, not to go a little crazy here, going to do a little theological out on the limb. My reformed friends are already here. <laughs> Did God the Father choose that Jesus sacrificed and Jesus pleads, but God is the one that chooses on Jesus's behalf? Uh, yet not my will, but yours be done. I mean, Jesus is yeah, choosing right, right. the thing he doesn't want. I can He's, be a little hesitant. Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm a little hesitant on that because I we got to be careful there. Oh, my reformed fr- friends are like, this is great, but I want to push back a little bit and say God is God. Both Jesus and God are together. And if you do too much Trinity, God's will versus Jesus' will, <laughs> it gets a little too, it's it's not totally coherent. But, I th- but, but definitely Jesus submits to a greater will, you know, and that Jesus, the the human submits and maybe we follow his example. Yeah. And I think it is to some degree a reflection on our society that we would make it compulsory or mandatory because of the care for the individual. You know, I, I love the way when a ambulance is flying down the road with its sirens on and everybody pulls to the side. That's individualism at its best, I think. It's the care for the individual. It's not assertion of my own individualism. It's care for the other. And I, I like that this is that opportunity, again, to care for the person that is in need, that is vulnerable. And how can we make that a choice that we all care about and not just something that we're compelled to do? So then this analogy is perfect because you and I have talked about self-driving cars. <laughs> so what if in the future, we have a future where the ambulance goes down the road and right now we all individually pull over and it yeah. is sort of cool. The American approach is imagine yourself in the ambulance. What, what would you do? <laughs> but like, what if in the future of self-driving cars, all the self-driving cars automatically pull over and no one has a choice. You're yeah. actually forced to pull over. And that's almost the analogy I'm saying. Yeah. Here yeah. Yeah. With the, everyone has to download the app for mm-hmm. the greater good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> would it feel different? Does that feel like a different thing now? Well, I think it's the value that we have. It's the tradition that we have that we're then programming into the self-driving car in that yeah, case. Yeah. Like other cultures may not okay. do that. I don't right. know. But I think your point is is the same then. Like we're programming into law 
this tradition that we have of caring for each other. And by doing that, we, as consenting to the government, are saying, yes, that's our value, and we're doing it, and I'm opting in, I'm logging in for that purpose. Okay, Adam, I know this is going to be controversial. I think this should be a mandatory thing for the greater good. I'm willing to be argued down on the ethics. You, where are you at at this point? Are you like, it depends? Are you a yes? Are you like a no? (laughs) I... I think we really need our leaders to be honest people. And I think if we can trust them to be that, and in a critical moment like this, if we can trust them to be ethical, then we can be at ease. I do agree with the point that we need to be willing to give up certain privileges or things like privacy for the good of others. Yeah. And... I would like to be able to choose that myself and to have the dignity of choosing that because I think it yeah. it, it, it tests our own character and right. gives us something in shows. our own selves to believe in that we can choose that. So, oh, well, I think collectively, uh, I don't know, you're sort of persuasive. I also think if you have a positive <laughs> view of government, which... You know, it could be debatable, but in the best sense of us governing together, I think we collectively choose. We The way the decision, we make a decision together is using a government. And yeah. so I sort of want that. I also think because we know 75% of people need to use this for us to really save lives, that feels like that's the way to go. But I have some of the to point. This is a tough question yeah, in general on ethically. <laughs> I just want people to notice the difference on culture. The giving up of privacy might not be as crazy as we seems. It might be more cultural than we think. So, Adam, I feel like it's time for vice or virtue. The quarantine vice or virtue of the day <laughs> is... Haircuts. <laughs> Good I, I or bad? I did notice haircuts. when you, when I saw you today, that your hair's looking a little longer than usual, <laughs> and you know, little, little, little frizzier on the sides more than usual. This is this is due towards natural. I wear growth, my hair a little bit longer. Natural growth, and also the fact that I've just given up. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, nobody sees me. Nobody it's cares. Like, I mean, I'm on these Zoom calls, right? You can see the hair, obviously, even right now, but it's not that it's, bad on Zoom. Like, it's you can, low res. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. I don't know, man. Oh, man. Haircuts. So, my hairstylist is a girl named Katie, and I feel like I've talked about her before, but she is a a great hairstylist, I think. I haven't had complaints yet, <laughs> but know. she's also one of my uh, longest-term relationships, so I've been going to her for nine years, I think. So she knows my hair really well. And I got to say, like, hands down, virtue. Yeah, <laughs> Katie's great. <laughs> well, I know I've written a lot recently since the quarantine happened on all these human relational things that we can do over Zoom. And that we can see each other, we can communicate with each other, we can smile, we can express affection, we can talk about truth and beauty. Mm. And I think that this is embodied in a way that people don't, you know, maybe underestimate. However, it is impossible to give a haircut over Zoom. (laughs) 
scissors just uh, have not worked through the camera as far as I can tell, <laughs> even the buzzer system. So I'm going to say I long for the day that I can get a real haircut. So they're a virtue. <laughs> Very good. I agree. Oh, we long for you. Oh, hairstylists. All right. Well, if you liked this episode, please give us a good rating on iTunes or whatever device you use. <laughs> Jump on Facebook or Twitter and tell us whether you think this contact tracing thing as this discussion unfolds these next few weeks is an ethical, is a good thing and why. And in these days of quarantine, we pray that you guys stay well. See ya. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.